This is Imperial Voice, streaming from the palace of His Imperial Majesty, Haile Selassie. It's a window to the world. And one of the lessons of Black Lives Matter, of the climate crisis, and all our stupid self inflicted damage is that we need to educate ourselves. Speaking for myself, maybe for all of us, one thing to get educated about is Ethiopia. And if we want to educate ourselves about Ethiopia, there's no better person to invite onto Imperial Voice than Dr. Angela Raven Roberts. Hello, Angela. Hi, yeah. I can hear you loud and clear. <laughs> And you're speaking to me from Oxford? Uh, yeah, just outside Oxford, Kidlington. Kidlington, very nice. I mean, thank you so much for joining us. You described as a friend of Ethiopia. What, what drew you to Ethiopia and East Africa? Well, my parents went out there in, uh, in 1950 when I was a baby. My father was teaching at the General Wingate School, one of the big secondary schools in Ethiopia. And my mother was working for the Ethiopian Red Cross Society. So government uh, workers for the Ethiopian Ministry of Education. Yeah. And your family was from Minnesota, is that Minneapolis? No, no, no. I, I actually, I, funnily enough, I studied in <laughs> Minneapolis, but right. I'm half British, half Swedish. I'm global. Yeah. Very, I think that's what we're all aspiring to, isn't it? We'd all like to be global. So you were taken to Ethiopia as a child and you, you were at school there through some quite turbulent times, weren't you? Yeah, I, I, was the, I studied there uh, for the first 15 years of my life and then I left um, and then came back during the, the 70s. Then I came back in the 80s and I stayed for another 10 years working there um with save the children and also and then have been going back during the the regime after the derg and etc but so, yes they there they've been some uh very uh turbulent years so yes. just talk me through you were you at an international school in addis then as a child yeah, I, I was at several schools <laughs> i i was both at uh, an ethiopian school and then i was also at what was called the sanford school which was the international schools were developed to give various curriculums so if you wanted to have a british education you went to one school if you wanted to have um, a german or a french lycée but they were international in that the, all the students there were from all over the world 
Ethiopians and everywhere else. So, so you have recollections of, of uh, Addis Ababa under the time of Haile Selassie, uh, under the... Oh, Africa. yeah. Very, very, very clear, yeah. What was the impression you would keep of that or share? <laughs> well, it was a very... It, for uh, Historically, it was a time when Haile Selassie was modernizing, I mean, the second round of modernization, as it were, uh, this time after the uh, the war. So he was kind of rebuilding Ethiopia that, uh, after the Second World War and the Italian invasion. Uh, and so it was, a, it was a moment when, you know, there were a lot of school buildings going on within the capital and he was expanding the education system. He was uh, turning more to America. So there was a lot of students who were being sent to the United States. The Ethiopian Airlines was being developed into, you know, the major airline that it is today. Uh, and, and at the same time, um, the, you know, there was a lot of discussion, as there is now, uh, among the intellectuals and the students about Ethiopian history and about, you know, who they are and, and you know, what they needed. And, and because of the enormous poverty, uh, you know, there was a feeling that, that Ethiopia was not developing as fast as it could be. Uh, and so there was all that kind of tension that 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 was uh, very uh, palpable, uh, you know, as you grew older, as the student unions, you know, became more vocal, you know, everything which eventually led to the revolution in, in 1974. So it sounds like a time of, of, of peace, of optimism and development, but of poverty and a degree of sort of foment, which I guess then bubbled over. And you, you, were you there through the revolution? That must have been a, a traumatic I, I time. Le I le well, I, was, I left just before, and then I came back uh, in 78 and 79. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of my friends were people who were who became very caught up in the in the student movements um and and then many lost their lives and many yeah, you yeah. know uh, went into exile and it, and it was a very emotional time but the earlier time yes it was peaceful and and it was it was it was a flowering. I mean, you, you felt that things were developing, but maybe not developing fast enough. So in 78, 79, were you a student at that point? Yes. So you studied at, what, at the university there and, 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 and with the no, Derg I, government? I was a student here in, in England at SOAP. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I, I went back, I had friends there and, you know, um, I wanted to see what was going on after the huge, terrible events of 74. And that was seven, the, the time when the, when the military regime was kind of really establishing itself. So it was, they were very dark days. Mm. So, so where has that long love and association with, with Ethiopia sort of taken you in your professional life? What, what, what's your journey been since then? Well, I, um, uh, as I said, I, I, my work was, I was working in the development humanitarian field. Uh, and then because I was doing that, 
when the famine happened in 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 the eighties, the second big uh, famine in. So was that the Live Aid famine? Yeah. If, if, it, I don't know what the what the correct term for it would be, but I mean, for many of us in in Britain who were, who were sort of even more ignorant then than we still are today, um, you know, Live Aid was the sort of first time that uh, contemporary Ethiopia erupted into our consciousness, and yeah. probably in a misleading way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it, it was, there were two big famines in 70, uh, in 74, and then which, which were uh, exposed by the uh, BBC. And then 10 years later, in 84, there was another big one. And that was the one which led to the whole Live Aid, Band Aid. Yeah, um, yeah. so 74 was, was Dimbleby, who remains quite unpopular with, with Sort of advocates of contemporary Ethiopia today for, for casting Ethiopia in that light, I guess, doesn't he? And then 84 um, was Bob well, Geldof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the I think one of the problems, as we uh, was also the, the 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 issue that you know people were discovering Ethiopia. Yeah. yeah. And I th to me the greatest insult was was the song, "Do they know it's Christmas?" I mean, given that. You know, <laughs> Northern Ethiopia was converted to Christianity before the the British and the Irish. Never thought of that. Song was was yeah. very yeah. Perhaps it should have been. Have they got the right date for Christmas? Would have been more appropriate, perhaps. Yeah. yeah well, I don't. Yeah, I don't. It it, it was um, discuss. It yeah. was good intentions, but badly uh, put together, and it just reinforced the kind of patronizing of the West of, of uh, Ethiopia. Yeah, do you, do you think it's a sort of touching naivety or do you think it's actually just worse than that, completely inappropriate and just wrong? I mean, for all the Muslims in, in Ethiopia, that's just ridiculous as well, isn't it, to say yeah. to them it's Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> How far do you want to go back? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's the nature, I'm afraid, of the, of the aid business. It's one of the things that comes out, I guess, of well, of aid, but also of, of the response to Black Lives Matter. Is you know, how do you how do you sort of deal with well-intentioned people who've just got it got it fundamentally wrong in important ways, and how do you bring bring them onto the right track in a sort of kindly way? <laughs> well, the, these are all very serious, deep questions that people have to. I mean, really, you you really know you need to know about the places that you're thinking and caring about and you need to know your own history um and and uh you know you you need to kind of also maybe work a little bit closely more yeah. and listen to the people you're as it were helping so angela this is why we've invited you on the show this is why we're so happy to have dr angela raven roberts on in our city this week and i have to say angela i i noticed straight away when you responded to our request that you were very diffident about your level of knowledge about ethiopia and you described yourself as a friend and somebody who'd visited it and learned about it and and uh, uh, so if, if you take that perspective then those of us who are just at the very very beginning of the journey should be i think very humble about it <laughs> listen we're going to drop in um some tracks into our conversation would, would you should we drop in a track by Hachalu Hundessa? I just think he, he maybe needs a bit of a sort of tribute at this point. Would you be happy with that, or would you pick something different? Yeah, no, that that would be great. I think it's uh... okay. We'll, we'll put in Jira. Is that if I'm pronouncing that correctly? I, I find his music. I, I don't understand it. I find it joyous. It's danceable. It's it's easy. 
he 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 seems a wonderful musician. It just seems very very sad that he should have been you know taken mm. from his fans early. Did, did you know much about him before before recent news broke? Mm. Yeah, well, I used to. I mean, I follow obviously because I love anything Ethiopian from all the communities. So I was aware of him and and his music and the the sad part. I mean, first of all, I I also want to say at this point. Uh, you know, to give my condolences to the family and friends of uh, Hachalu and, and all his fans, because uh, this is also, and also all the people who, who have been killed in these very turbulent, you know, last two or three years, as Ethiopia goes through a very deep sort of transition and reviewing of, of itself. And it's, it's a very painful uh, process. But uh, Hachalu was also, um, you know, th there was a great, there is also a great artistic and, and musical kind of renaissance going on and has been going on for the last few years uh, in Ethiopia, where all the different communities are, are kind of, you know, different musical genres are coming out, artistic, and, pe and people are in the, in the throes of, of putting also Ethiopia on the kind of international map. Um, and, and Hachalu's music uh, w was one uh, form. And yes, he was, he's very political. And Jira is, is actually, uh, I think if I'm, I mean, I may be corrected, but, but uh, it means uh, Jira, uh, uh, I am, we are. And an, ass an assertion that we're, that we're here, a, a yeah. basic assertion of identity and presence, and yeah, and it, and it's it's very it's it, it's very powerful. So let's listen to Jira by Hachalu Hundessa as a, as a tribute to the musician who was who was tragically murdered just last month. <laughs> Ya 
Girard by Hachalu Bundesa, wonderful, joyous sound, uh, Angela. And as you say, part, part of a sort of musical renaissance going on, which takes Ethiopian sounds to the world, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you know, I don't think many people um, who, who know Ethiopia as a kind of an amorphous mass uh, are, are aware that, you know, there are many nations and peoples and cultures within the nation of, of, of Ethiopia and their cultures and musical and artistic traditions are, are both unique to them as well as to Ethiopia. And, and even Ethiopians have been discovering about each other. And this is uh, part of what's been sort of wonderful in, in all this new flowering of, of artistic sentiments. So let's let's go. Uh, let's learn a bit more about that, uh, and let's hope that um, the death of Hachalu Hundessa uh, educates a lot of people about the different traditions in Ethiopia, because he was a Romo, wasn't he? And he was a great champion of Romo language and traditions. And his death has tragically um, inflamed extremists and, uh, and separatists. How do you read this escalation in intention and to what extent is it sort of tribal and cultural and what's the religious dimension and, and to what extent do you think it's exacerbated? Um, I mean, people speak of foreign agitators and, and the influence of foreign countries. Yeah, well, I think the, the first thing I think is we have to be very, very careful as outsiders, um, you know, not, not to be sort of led into very essentialist perceptions uh, about Ethiopia. Um, Ethiopia is a very complex country with uh, many, many deep histories. Each of its communities has had its own very deep history going back, you know, thousands of years. Um, it is also a, a center where religions itself, I mean, the three major kind of the, 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 the religion of what the West has recognized as, as three religions of Islam, uh, Christianity and Judaism also, you know, have origins there. Um, and the, the way that all of these have come together to shape the, the state building process of what is now Ethiopia, you know, ha is, is very deep, is very complex. Um, and, and like all, all empires, <laughs> you know, how this has come together and, and, you know, what has happened during all these moments, you know, there's been one narrative which, which has been a, a, a dominant narrative to the outside world. 
and then this narrative is contested and we need to kind of follow these in a very nuanced way to try to get to grips with you know what what is happening now is, it, is there broadly a transition from what in the past was an empire with its implications of, of a degree of conquest and so on to to something more federal in which a multiplicity of nations and languages and identities um, come together with with consent is is, is that the tra this transition in place yeah i mean it's i mean every country has has you know it, its own history of how of how it's come together and groups and 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 you know lineages and political governance systems that have dominated and and won and you know and i think the the the, the issue within within ethiopia is that um the this is happening also at a time the, the the reviewing of this history is also happening at a time of very rapid um uh industrialization and and development i mean the the changes that have taken place developmentally in ethiopia over the last 30 years have been phenomenal um i mean it's it's almost like china i mean you you went from a country that was economically kind of plodding along, you know, up to, you know, and then sort of curtailed by revolution, experimentation with a socialist regime, failure of that, you know, then another regime, a developmental regime, ethnic federal regime, and then a sort of a, a, a massive building of infrastructure and, and bringing the the kind of country together massive development of schools and and public health facilities weak as though they might be you know uh, as as they're translated by people but but making enormous enormous changes i mean there are towns which where there weren't towns before there are towns now that you you don't recognize anymore because of the amount of building going on so all of this builds up all kinds of expectations <laughs> and there are winners and losers and all of this is going on at the same time as you know the 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 heart of who are we how do we get to be who we are you know what do we have what do we not have why don't we have this uh is is all sort of coming uh, coming together is very combustible so you mentioned the comparison with China, and I guess we have to ask, of that investment, how, how much of that is coming from China? And do you see that as a, um, a, a benevolent and enlightened investment, or do you see it as more of a sort of poison chalice or something which has, which has strings attached? Well, I, <laughs> I don't think there's any aid anywhere that doesn't have strings attached. I yeah. mean, unfortunately, um, and, and I mean, the difference with what china has done for ethiopia is that at least it has it has given the type of aid that ethiopians have wanted rather than than saying okay you can only have this if you do that right. and and what it's done is being able to 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 build the kind of infrastructure you know people need roads people need bus stations they need railways <laughs> And, and then once they have that, they can communicate and sell things. And, you know, the World Bank sat for that hundreds of years, not trying to build a road anywhere. 
you know, the Chinese build it in five days. So, yeah. you know, who, who are you going to go for? Yeah. Let's do a second track. Shall we do another Hundessa one? Uh, we've got Malar Gerard lined up. Would that, uh, would that suit as well? Or... Oh, okay. <laughs> you, go, you go ahead. professor here I right. came back here because I I studied here many years ago okay and I I had a fellowship here after I uh, retired oh nice so you got your doctorate in America and, yeah. a, and and a fellowship are you associated with a particular college in Oxford or uh... 
Yeah, I, I was at, uh, with Saint uh, Lady Margaret Hall. Okay. Um, and but my old college was Saint Anne's College. Uh, okay. I did my MPhil here. So. Okay. So um, you know about Fairfield House in Bath. Um, have you been down to visit us yet? Oh yes, many times. So you know it well. I'd, I'd be really interested. You know how how you interpret the significance of of well of the house, but also of the broader legacy to Bath of, of Haile Selassie. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the visit of Haile Selassie to Ethiopia at, at the time of the Italian invasion and his relationship with, with, with Britain, um, I mean, the British weren't very accommodating to begin with and, and you know, it has its own <laughs> uh, sort of... Uh, uh, contested history but but the fact is that he he was there he came with his family uh he was you know well received by the citizens of, of bath um and he was very you know gracious to to the people of britain um i think the the royal family knew exactly you know what was going on but they 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 were very gracious and and uh i think commemorating this as a as a a historical aspect of history of uh, people of Britain and and Ethiopia, I think it's very important, um, and and it's also an aspect of, of of Commonwealth history. I mean, you know, African African soldiers from Kenya and and, and others were also part of the British who liber so-called liberated uh, Ethiopia. Um, but it's it's a, I think it's a great place for both Ethiopians in Britain to have as a as as one of the historical connections. It's also a great place for British people to know more about Ethiopia and then in turn learn more about Africa. And it's also a great place for for you know Black British. Who are here? Who also to learn more about um, Ethiopia and Africa, and 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 then through that, the role of Ethiopia as uh, and Haile Selassie in particular as a pan-Africanist, and I think that's very that's a dimension that also people don't know very much about, uh, but which is very meaningful for the African diaspora overseas and so there are all these strands that i think fairfield can bring together and and be very meaningful yeah it feels like a, a gateway for learning in different dimensions i mean bath bath can be a provincial place it has its moments of internationalism and it has uh, things which are internationally significant but it, it risks lapsing into provincialism i think and here suddenly we have a gateway which allows us to discover the world to discover ethiopia to discover this incredible history i mean i do wonder what your impression is of what the community of bath should make of it i mean it's as if the municipal authorities in bath to whom this was formerly gifted um you know they've got their hands full with a pandemic the collapse of sort of retail in the high street they have to spend 80% of their budget on adult social care. And the wide-ranging, esoteric, spiritual, historical implications of Fairfield House don't really fit neatly into 
their very focused priorities. And I wonder what, what would your vision be of, of, of what as a community we in Bath should make of that legacy? What should we use it for? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I think you have this great uh, uh, two or three huge uh, festivals. Uh, there's a literary festival, there's, there's a, a musical festival. And, and I think, um, you know, diversifying that even more by having, uh, you know, writers from Ethiopia, writers from Africa, musical groups from Ethiopia, uh, and more Africa. I mean, you know, to kind of strengthen that strand so that each time something happens, that then gives you the connection of why X and Y is here and how that links, you know, to Fairfield and what. But even the Abbey itself, it would be great one day if, if the Abbey could, could host, uh, you know, invite one of the, the Ethiopian churches to, to, to celebrate Easter there or, or you know, St. Mary, you know, as a great place to, to, as a, to have for pilgrimage for Ethiopian Christians. Um, it's a beautiful idea. We had Guy Bridgewater, who is the new rector of Bath Abbey, on the show last week. Um, uh, and he was interested to learn about Fairfield and clearly keen to build connections between the Abbey on one side of town, which uh, is so prominent and, you know, in which there's been huge investment. They've spent 20 million pounds on sort of underfloor heating and a sort of footprint project. And on the other side of town, you have Fairfield House, where, um, you know, which has a very strong spiritual or faith tradition, which is quite different. And I think the opportunity for cross-fertilisation is very strong. So your suggestion that we, we try and arrange a, a pilgrimage or the celebration of Ethiopian festivals in the Abbey, it's a wonderful suggestion. Yeah, it's, it's it's very beautiful, and the the you know the pageantry of of, of Ethiopian priests and, yes you know, would be magnificent and yeah and a lasting. It's all part of what Anglicans also like interfaith. Yes, I think I think Angli Anglicans are committed to interfaith, and and the impression I have is that sometimes at their most confident, they don't quite realize that they're not as welcoming as they would wish they were to people of other faiths and cultures, simply because of, uh, of how they present themselves. Dear listeners, stay tuned to Imperial Voice. So, so there's culture, there's religious celebration. I mean, we think that Fairfield is obviously welcoming when there's music, that the food is also fantastic. Are you a big fan of Ethiopian food? Oh yeah, <laughs> they do beautiful cooking there, and the, I think the more of it, the more of it we can be serving up, the the, the better. So I know clearly we already celebrate um, the Ethiopian festivals at Fairfield, and the Rastafari celebrate um, their uh, monthly Sabbath. Did you know we've set up a small library there now? I believe in the past you've generously offered uh, a gift of books and we've been all kind of, we don't know what to do with them because we haven't got any. Yeah. We, now, we now have a library and a librarian. Oh, excellent. We do. Okay. He's, our librarian is writing a historical novel in Amharic in longhand. Oh, okay. Do you know Ezra, who's based here? Oh, Ezra's like, guy. I know him very well. I went to school with him. Oh, you're at the same school. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Okay, so Ezra uh, um, is very happily installed in a refurbished room, which has 
library shelves from the Quaker Meeting House, because the Quakers have sold their Meeting House and gone totally virtual. And it does have some spare shelves. So if you still have any books, we would be completely delighted to host them and look after them. Have you announced, because one thing, there are many people retiring who, who would love to know where they can send their books on Ethiopia because but, libraries, university libraries aren't accepting books anymore. It's very that. expensive to send them to Ethiopia because no one will, will um, pay the, the cargo. So if, if they knew that, that, that you are soliciting books, I, I would uh, encourage you and I can help you if you want to, to get the word out. We would greatly welcome that. So let's spread the word. Yes, we, we, we now, so we now have a, a formal partnership with Baspar University. Yeah. And that includes um, a placement of students who are working on things like curation policies and how we look after the artifacts that we have. We have a library with bookshelves. It doesn't yet have a policy, an acquisitions policy, but in principle, yes, absolutely. We're open and as long as we're allowed to keep anything which is of long-term interest and if something actually doesn't really fit, uh, you know, we've got a sort of free hand to, 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 to pass that on if necessary. But we would love to have a strong collection of Ethiopian, uh, highly Selassie-oriented and uh, Rastafari also uh, of books. You know, we, we have a small gallery and, and the museum for which we've been given some more artifact. We're more a living community than a, than a museum per se. But I think having the museum and the opportunity to learn is, is, is really strong. So we, I'm sorry we weren't ready at the right time, but we're, but we're getting there. And we're also um, now sort of formally into a process of community asset transfer with Bath Council. So, so there's a, a journey with you know, several months of hard work ahead, which would put Fairfield House into a long-term lease with a social enterprise whose aim is to celebrate and make the most of Haile Selassie's legacy. So rather than being a, a council building in which daycare happens, but on a very insecure basis, and anything else is essentially sort of um, informal, it'll be formally in a long lease with care of the elders at the centre of it, but the ancillary cultural and educational activities are all, 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 all very important as well. So we're already working with one university, which is Bath Spa. Do you think there is scope for us to work more closely with Oxford and with other universities? I mean, do you think that the, the, the learning opportunities uh, that Fairfield presents would be of interest? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can't speak for Oxford per se <laughs> writ large, but I, I, I think the the you know they have the, the the pit rivers museum which which also has a great uh, wing of its research is on memory uh diaspora memory and and uh, um, the kind of curation of community histories through personal memories and icons Im- embodying um, uh, you know, historical memory and all those kind of issues. And I think they would be very open and I can approach them. That would be great. Pitt Rivers. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a section of the Department of Anthropology. Right. Understand. Uh, and they've been working with many museums uh, in, in Africa and, and, the, and, and, but, but the whole, the whole sort of 
subgenre within museum studies and in history studies and in uh, social anthropology is around the whole way in which uh, community memories are kept and 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 um, uh, memorialized, celebrated, and 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 so within all of that, I think the the Bath Fairfield House would fit, and also you know its its role within both uh, uh, Ethiopian communities now in Britain, as well as the diaspora communities. I mean, all of that I think would be of great interest and I'm sure they would be supportive. That sounds a really good fit. And I think we're getting ready, getting ready for that introduction. Um, uh, I think that, that a, a, a sustainable future for Fairfield House based on partnerships with strong academic institutions letting a certain number of the bedrooms as offices for suitable NGOs and, and uh, small businesses, particularly uh, supporting black communities uh, in, in, in Bath, and probably renting the uh, bungalow, which is next to the old building, if you remember that. I think, I think that would keep Fairfield House open and sustainable. What about SOAS, your, your other sort of alma mater? How, how are they nowadays? Do you think they would be a suitable partner? Well, I... Um... I mean, I, I don't know. They're going through a lot of, of um, financial issues. Uh, and I, theoretically, yes, um, they, they, they should be a, a good partner. Um, I mean, it just depends which of their departments uh, survives. Um, they, they, they had a very, they've always had a very strong interest in Ethiopian languages, uh, Ethiopian uh, uh, musical, uh, a lot of interest in in uh, you know medieval and ancient Ethiopian history. Um, so I think it's it's worth approaching them. We would love to do that also. Now you know that uh, a few months ago Bath got its first blue plaque, and yeah. the blue plaque was on Fairfield House for His Imperial Majesty Haile Selassie the First. How substantial a global figure do you see him as? How suitable do you think he is as, as a sort of moral lead and guide and, and inspiration for the, for the issues that we face today? Well, I think the, the speech that he made at the League of Nations, um, I mean, there are, there are seminal speeches that great leaders in their time have made, which, which if you read them again, you think, my God, you know, did this person write it now? <laughs> um, and we, we, which ring true across the ages because, you know, oppression, war, violence, discrimination, unfortunately seem to <laughs> persist through the ages. Yeah. Um, and I think historically, um, you know, what, what Ethiopia represented um, especially to the to the diaspora, to the to the families and people, you know, enslaved and you know separated around the world, uh, you know, was was very, was very very important. I mean, it, it, and and so in that sense, uh, the 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 connection of Haile Selassie as a Pan African 
figure is enormous. And, and whatever you may think about the way he actually ruled Ethiopia, the way the, the inspiration he and Ethiopia in and of itself uh, gave to the African diaspora is, is enormous and cannot be denied. He does seem eerily contemporary, doesn't he, in, in many of his key speeches. And uh, would, you, would, you, would you say he's adequately appreciated in our Western culture now, or do you think uh, sort of somewhat under-recognized and due for sort of something of a re-evaluation? Well, Western culture, it's yeah. what... <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm, I, 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 I don't think about national UK sort of anymore because it's all just so ghastly. I, I, I really just focus on, on, on Bath. But I mean, here we are in a city where people think the most important person here was Jane Austen, you know, or, uh, or Wood who dug some stones out of a hill and, and turned them into Bath stone buildings. It, it's, it's not taught in the schools of Bath that the most eminent and globally important resident this city ever had was an African emperor who lived with us for six years. Yeah people aren't aware of. I think, yeah I mean I you know people who are educated you know who know global history know, know of him uh, some local people will know and remember I mean it's amazing there's a, a genre of uh, you know now elderly British people even not ones who haven't been to college or, or whatever, and, and who will immediately, oh yes, I remember when Haile Selassie came to Oxford, or I remember, you know. But yes, in terms of the integration within the general curricula of, of British uh, historical studies, no. The only, the young may know of him through reggae and Bob Marley, but they know more about Bob Marley than they do about, you know, and and then even even Rastafarianism itself is is now not as I mean in the 70s during the rock against racism and 60s it was big, but I mean people musically have also kind of moved on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, what? Who? Yeah, oh yeah, that's cool. But you know, the the whole kind of history. Is, is unknown so uh, that has a complete ring of truth I think in, in in the culture of Bath and we will constantly encounter people who say Ali Selassie came and spoke at my school when I was six years old I remember it to this day he made a great impression on me so all the all the personal uh, experiences are of somebody very very striking and very very impressive but it's not built into the structure of what people learn about Bath. It's not, it's not taught or, or, or educated. And in that sense, given our present preoccupations with peace and race and environment, he, he does seem a, a very helpful role model. I think much more helpful than the other role models that Bath could come up with uh, for people it's, it's provided in history. Right, we're going to um, pick out a third and last track, a song or track you particularly associate with Ethiopia or your love of Ethiopia. Oh. Well, <laughs> um, the, the, there's always one musical genre which, without fail, for anyone who's been in Ethiopia or, uh, and I 
And I would challenge whatever political party you represent or which community you come from, but would always make you, uh, uh, make, make you feel emotional is the genre of tizita. Uh, which is, you know, like the poor, the, the Cabo Verdean lusophonic yes. saudad, you know, as soon as uh, the, 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 the musical tones begin to play, you know, everybody immediately, they think of their childhood, they think of home and they, it's, it's nostalgia. It's, it's, you know, so I think uh, one should, choose that as a way of saying, please, you know, behind all of this, behind all the differences are all the great things that, that, that bring ones together.
Angela, it's obviously been a difficult couple of weeks speaking to the embassy and others. There's been the murder of a musician, a couple of hundred deaths in Ethiopia, a statue destroyed in Wimbledon, eggs thrown at the embassy and so forth. But are, are you um, broadly optimistic about the direction that Ethiopia is going in with the new government and uh, direction? Or, or do you think these recent events possibly herald a sort of descent into a period of chaos? Well, these are very, very troubling times and um, it, it makes, I think everyone in Ethiopia and everyone outside of Ethiopia of every political persuasion and everybody who knows Ethiopia are feeling very, very nervous. Uh, it, is, it is like watching, you know, all the, the hidden issues in a family as, as they come to the surface and the wine glasses are being thrown, the doors are being slammed, people are pointing and remembering and, you know, what do you do when you stand outside and you watch your favorite family falling apart? Um, mm -hmm. Deep inside of me, I think somehow Ethiopia will get through it. Um, they have been uh, through, Ethiopian communities have been through a lot of trauma. Uh, it is, there is something very strong and, and, and resilient. There is, there is deep faith and there, there, is, there is deep values which are held in common even though they may be of, from different communities, but there's an underlying uh, uh, deep uh, faith that, that I think and I hope will eventually, you know, come to the surface. Uh, I think communities are aware of what is going on around them. Um, and I, I hope that, that they, they are, everyone is kind of concerned about debating and arguing over the text but the subtext of how all of these things are also being manipulated beyond them is, is, is maybe something when people realize all of that, that may also help to sort of stop the, the descent to chaos and, 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 and pull things uh, together. Because to me, Ethiopia matters. It matters historically and globally. And, and I think as friends of, of, and, uh, of, of Ethiopia, we, we have to just pray and hope that, that um, the, the, the debates will be done eventually in dignity and issues will... Uh, in the peacekeeping language, you know, there are, there are four R's, that there is recognition, uh, representation, uh, redistribution, and and those are things that that all communities have to kind of get to, you know, to acknowledge what happened in the past, to to move beyond it, to uh, solve, you know, questions of injustice, and to reimagine. And Ethiopia, 
I think is in the process of trying to reimagine the kind of principles of the kind of state that they they want to take part in and we we have to support them somehow to do all of this without uh, um, damaging themselves did you see the statement from the crown council and did you think that was a helpful intervention from prince Hermias? Yes, um, I mean it. It was a very dignified, um, you know. He, 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 the the Crown Council is itself a part of Ethiopia's history, um, you know. And like any country, there are. I mean, he is one royal family. There are other royal families of Ethiopia. There are sultans. There are family royal families in other communities. And, and they are all thinking, you know, the same kind of thing, is that we, we must acknowledge our, our history and we must, we must come together in dignity to see how we get beyond the, the things of the past that, that may have affected us, but to envision a, a, a future. And I think he gave a very uh, wonderful um, presentation. And do you think that brings a, a, a dimension to the self-perception of people in Ethiopia, which which government announcements can't can't do by themselves? Sec, I mean, secular Republican announcements. Well, I think the more people say those kind of statements, I mean, I I don't know how much. Uh, uh, especially with the with the blackout you know you don't know what information is going in you don't know what information is coming out you don't know what people are being allowed to to listen to i mean it's it's a huge country millions of people you know not everyone is a royalist i mean like anywhere else you have different political opinions but i think the more uh, people of gravitas the more people with standing whether they are academics, uh, faith leaders, uh, you know, pop singers. I mean, the more people add their voice of, of, of reason and ask for calmness, the better. Dr. Angela Raven Roberts, thank you so much for your, for your time and your wisdom and expertise on this and sharing your love of Ethiopia and, and your insights about it. We, we so look forward to being able to welcome you down again to Fairfield House in future and to making plans and celebrations as we, as, as we sort of work out the future of that of that um, unique legacy from Haile Selassie to our community. Thank you so much Angela. Okay thank you. We'll Good luck and uh, please give my regards to Ezra. Oh and I'm meant to say I bring you the warmest greetings from Dr Sean Sobers. Okay yeah hi I forgot to yeah. And also from Hugo Makepeace, who put us in touch about the call today, yeah. uh, and to whom I'm very grateful. So, so uh, there's many yes friendships to re renew and and and, and new ones to be made when you come down. Angela, thank you yeah. so much. Okay, thank you very much. Streaming from the palace of His Imperial Majesty Haile Selassie, this is Imperial Voice.